0: I'm sitting here next to one cross today, but you've seen a different picture, whether that picture be in front of a church or in a movie or in a painting or something. Uh, It's the picture of three crosses, Uh, the one in the center, typically a little taller, symbolizing the place where Jesus Christ died. But then two others, two crosses, one on the right, one on the left, two crosses for two thieves. We don't know much about these thieves, these criminals in their life. We don't know their name, not sure where they're from. Uh, We're not even sure why they deserve death. Uh, But we do know this, that in the final moments of their life, each of them had one last conversation with Jesus. Uh, The first criminal hurled insults at Jesus, much like the others in the crowd that day. But for the other man, uh, he had a short simple conversation with jesus but even in this short simple conversation with him it was a conversation that changed his eternity forever and the great thing about that conversation is that today it might change your eternity too this man had nothing to show for his life his pitiful life anything that he had ever done but in the final moments of his life he turned to jesus and said jesus will you remember me when you come into your kingdom And Jesus looked at this man, uh, this man who the world said deserved death, and with gracious and powerful words said to him, Today, my friend, you will be with me in paradise. Well, I want to say uh, welcome to all of you on this Easter weekend. Again, we love having you here with us. Uh, 2,000 years after Jesus Christ uh, came out of that tomb uh, Christians, people all over this world this weekend are gathering to celebrate just that. I was reading this morning how in China there was a big deal yesterday as a number of people were prevented from going to an Easter worship service. You can't keep Jesus in the tomb. And, uh, and so uh, even the rain can't keep you away today. And we are really excited to, uh, to be here and to worship and to celebrate today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church. And again, we love having you with us. Uh, we're here every single weekend, and if you're new with us today, you've never been here before, we'd love to have you come back. And we're, again, we're here every Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15. And we're going to be looking at a few different verses from the Bible today, starting in Luke chapter 23. I want to invite you, if you've got your own Bible, to turn there right now. But if you don't have a Bible, I don't want you to worry about that. We're going to put our verses up for you on the screen so that you can follow along with us today. As you're doing that, let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself asking, am I good enough? Do you ever ask a question like that before? You know, that question, am I good enough? Do do I have what it takes? I, I ask that question. I'll do that all the time, especially if I hear another great preacher, you know, preach an awesome message or read a great book by a great pastor or a great writer or something. I I see something like that. I hear something like that. And often it causes me to ask, you know, am I good enough? You know, can do I really have what it takes? But we're all guilty of asking a question like this, whether it has to do with your job or your career, maybe some of the goals that you set for your life, uh, maybe in a relationship, maybe the school that you attend is the question, am I good enough? Now, that, that question, we start asking that question even as kids, you know, we're thinking about, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Um, I have two boys, uh, Joel and Luke, and uh, Joel and Luke were down in the basement this past week and they were going through one of the boxes uh, that I have, and if you're a dad or if you're a parent, you know that when you bring kiddos into the house, they kind of t- have this hostile takeover of everything, and so little by little, everything that you own can eventually be condensed to like one box, one Rubbermaid container, and that's what I have in the basement, uh, all of The trophies, awards, certificates, baseball cards all are now contained in one Rubbermaid container. But I was going through this container with them and came across this album uh, that I've had ever since I was a kid. And it's an album uh, just full of awards full of awards that I, that I received as a kid. I was going through it and just having a good time looking at some of these things. All of the blue ribbons right here on the first page. Uh, there was the blue ribbon in 1986 for the uh, chalk art competition. Uh, first place. Yeah, I'm not much of an artist today, but evidently competition wasn't too great then in the chalk art category and, and got the first place ribbon. Uh, there's some track uh, back in 1986. I mean, I would have been in elementary school uh, First place in the 200-meter dash, the 50-meter dash. There are other track ribbons in here. Uh, there's, uh, let's see, uh, second place in, in the softball throw. And that's a great competition, a track competition, isn't it? Through at 125 feet. Uh, but again, you know, just looking at these as a kid, thinking, am, am I good enough? And, and however many awards, just to measure, you know, how am I doing? How, how do I do with the other kids? But there are other things in here, too. If you've been around here for a while, you know that... Um, I played the clarinet for a bit, and uh, so back in fifth grade there was the solo and ensemble competition. Uh, Fifth grade, pop goes the weasel, perfect score, blue ribbon. Uh, Must have been a pretty amazing performance, I'm sure. And uh, you know, there's spelling bee awards and 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 math competitions. But evidently in this one competition, I got a participant ribbon. Now, that evi- uh, that basically says that I wasn't good enough, but they were kind enough to, to give me a participant ribbon uh, in that particular category. But, you know, even as a kid, and you know what it's like, you're always asking, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? But again, we do that as adults. Yeah, am I good enough? But let me ask you this question. How good are you? How good of a person are you? In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to take a quick poll here today and and ask all of you to think about that question. How good are you on a scale of one to 100? How good of a person are you just in the way that you treat others, the way that you do life, the the way that, you know, you take care of those around you? How good of a person are you on a scale of one to 100? And we'll just say that a one is is the worst. That's like Hitler-like category and a 100 is perfect. We're talking like Jesus category at this point. So on a scale of one to 100, um, I want everybody to participate in this, everybody, plays. You don't play, you have to leave. All right. And so everybody get a number in your head. Okay. Don't overanalyze it. Just take the first number that comes to your head. And now what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them your number on a scale of one to 100. How good of a person are you? Do that real quick. Turn to the person next to you and tell them your number. Number. Don't be ashamed. Everybody plays. Everybody's got a number. All right. So, how did you do in that? All right, I I can tell right now by the looks on some of your faces that you're a little frazzled because you're sitting next to your spouse and you told them your number and they looked at you like you're crazy. Absolutely not. There's no way, you know, that that's your number. Well, let's just see how we did. Okay, Uh, how everybody did. Everybody participates. Okay. Um, How many of you said I'm somewhere in between a one and a thirty? If that's you, just go ahead and put your hand. Honest. All right. Honest. Y'all yikes, man. Okay. You guys stay here longer today. You need to be here for the other two services too. Okay, uh, if you uh, if you are between a thirty and a fifty, go ahead and put your hand up in the air. Just do it. Everybody shows. Okay, all right, pretty good. Now remember, you're still you're still in the bottom half. All right, okay. Uh, how about a fifty to eighty? We got any fifty to eighties in the room? All right, for all of you that have already raised your hand, just turn to them right now and go, "Wow, we're not worthy." I mean, you are you're awesome. You're such great people. Okay, any eighty to one hundred? Come on, who did it? Who did it? Oh, they're slowly like you're afraid to put it up. You're afraid of the scrutiny. What are we gonna say? You know. How good are you? How good of a person? Are you? you know, we do that all the time. We ask these questions. Am I good enough? How good am I? How do I measure up with others? You know, I, I know it's an uncomfortable question and really it's probably a pretty unfair question. But isn't it amazing how uneasy even a question like that can make you, especially knowing that you've got to turn to the person next to you and kind of go out on a limb. You know, you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to think about what you said about yourself. Again, it's because we're always comparing. We're always looking to other people. We're always wondering how we measure up with others. You know, do you realize how much you and I compare? I mean, we do it all the time. You know, we did it as kids. We continue to do it as adults. It's dangerous, really. I mean, it's dangerous to compare because when you resort to comparing yourself to someone else, uh, a couple of different things can happen. First of all, when you resort to always comparing yourself to someone else, uh, a couple of things can happen. The first is this is it becomes easier to feel better about yourself. Uh, Because we can find people in our life that will make us feel much better about who we are. Because maybe you're sitting next to somebody right now and you know that you are a way better person than they are. And so, again, you feel better about who you are. Or suppose I say, you know, compare yourself, you know, in relation to Osama bin Laden or something. Again, you can see how easy it would be to pick your number and feel pretty good about how you're doing. But it works the other way, too. Because you might be sitting next to somebody right now and you know that, wow, they are a great person. I mean, they are outstanding. And so, I mean, you, you look at somebody like that and it's easier to feel worse about yourself you know, because who they are. Or if I told you, you know, rate yourself in comparison with somebody like Mother Teresa or, or Billy Graham or somebody like that. You can see how easy it would be, how, how, how difficult it becomes. But when it comes to this question of how good am I or am I good enough? And, and we all ask these questions. We're always comparing and so let's suppose this. Let's suppose that I ask you uh, as a parent to compare yourself with another parent. It'd be real easy for you to find another parent and say, well, my kids are a lot better than his kids are, you know, or they're, they're doing so much better in school than, than her kids. Or I'm a better person because I don't have the mouth that she does, or I certainly don't gossip the way that she does. Or at least I'm in church most of the Sundays on any given month, you know, or I don't cheat, and so I guess that makes me a better person. But then there are those around uh, us right now that just seem to have it all going for them. You know, maybe for you, it's that guy at work and financially he's doing really well. And it seems like he's always up for the promotion. And so you're always asking of yourself, am I good enough for this job? But you see him and you know where, you know, you're nowhere as good as he is. You know, ladies, do you ever find yourself comparing, you know, with another woman or another mom and, and you see her and you see how perfect she is. And, and you wonder why TLC hasn't done like a reality TV show on this super mom yet because she's beautiful and she's got it all together and she's got the perfect kids and the perfect house and she's just got this awesomeness about her and everything. You have no idea how she does it, but she does. Or it could be that guy at school right now. And he he's a great guy. He's a great student, a great athlete. You know, best car on campus. Everybody likes him. You have no reason not to like him, but you hate him. You do and every time you get around him uh, You just sort of feel inferior Or what about you as a christian? You know, and and the thing about it is that you know and realize that you've come a long way in your life in the last year and you give and you serve and you worship and you're here all the time and you're really excited about where you've come from. But then you get around mega Christian guy, you know, who like knows all the answers and he always knows a verse and he always knows what to say. And anytime he prays, it's like magical. You know, I mean, his words are just magical and you, you wonder why God doesn't give him everything, you know, that he might possibly want because of the way that he prays. I mean, do you see the game that we play? We're always comparing. We're always comparing whether it's measuring ourselves against people at home, at work, at school, or just life in general. Asking this question, am I good enough? But now let me ask you this question. Are you good enough for God? Have you ever asked a question like that before? Uh, am I good enough for God? You know, do, I, do I deserve this? Do I deserve the resurrection? Do I really have what it takes? Am I deserving for this love and this grace that is so difficult to understand? How confident are you in an answer to a question like that? Well, I want to look at a brief story with you this morning, a few verses in Luke chapter 23. Keeping this question in mind, am I good enough for God? And I want you to see two people today, two people who were not so good, two people that the world said were not good enough for society, they weren't good enough for God, they weren't good enough for heaven, and both of them were crucified on crosses next to Jesus. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. If you're there, you can follow along with us. Again, the words will be here on the screen. Verse 32, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull... There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So this text tells us who was next to him, two criminals, two criminals on the cross next to him. Now, these men are not good people uh, because good people did not get crucified all except for Jesus in this case. Now, these two guys were bad people. Society viewed them as lowlifes. We don't know why they are there on the cross. We don't know what they did. But history records that crucifixion was for the worst of the criminals, those who had committed severe crimes, something like armed robbery or murder or had organized a rebellion or something. And crucifixion wasn't just for any criminal. It was for slaves and it was for foreigners. The Romans ruled the world at this point in history, and on very rare occasions would even a Roman citizen ever be crucified. Why? That's just how brutal crucifixion really was. Crucifixion was invented by barbarians. It was later adopted by the Greeks and by the Romans as a form of execution. It has been called the cruelest form of execution ever to exist, as it was designed to delay death until maximum torture had been inflicted on the victim. Uh, most victims would suffer on the cross for days before they would finally die. In fact, you've, ever, you've heard the word excruciating? The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. It means out of the cross. So crucifixion... Uh, was not only punishment for these men, but it was a form of punishment for their families too because crucifixion not only meant pain, but it meant humiliation. And so these victims were humiliated along with their family and friends too. And here we've got Jesus. And he's done nothing wrong. Uh, it's no accident that he's being crucified between two other criminals either the authorities did this to further humiliate our savior and his friends and while the authorities were focused on humiliating jesus god had a divine purpose in jesus being crucified between these two men luke 23 again uh, over in verse 39 says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him aren't you the christ save yourself and us But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Jesus answered this man, this man who the world said deserved death, this man who could do absolutely nothing for himself. He couldn't make up for what he had done. And as far as we know, there's little to no good in his life. But Jesus answers him. I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. You know, this story that I'm sharing with you today, above so many others, illustrates one of the greatest truths about life and in the Word of God today. And at the same time, it corrects one of the greatest misunderstandings that's floating around out there today. And it's this misunderstanding that good people go to heaven. That only good people can go to heaven. You know, one of the most common misunderstandings is that you have to be good enough for God. You have to be good enough for heaven. And I'm not sure what number that is. If you have to be a 35 or a 55 or a 75 or a 94 to qualify for God. But it's that question of, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Now, there are a lot of people out there today that believe, well, I guess I'm good enough and they don't pay a lot of attention to it, but, but they know I'm certainly not as bad as that person is. And, and I may not be perfect, but I think for the most part, I'm good enough for God. I'm good enough for heaven. But at the same time, uh, there are a number of people, so many that are lost in fear and lost in desperation, wondering if they're good enough for God. Maybe even some of you here today. And maybe for you, you're like, you you have no idea what I've done. Uh, You have no idea the decisions that I made. You wouldn't believe my story if I told you and how I've messed up my life and messed up others' lives too. Uh, I've screwed up over and over again. There is no way that I'm good enough for God. And that is exactly why it is so important that you hear me say this clearly today. I believe that it's God's message for you and God's message for us this Easter weekend that good people don't go to heaven, but the truth is that forgiven people do. Good people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people do. And there is such a big difference because all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of the standard that God has set for us. We have all sinned, as the Bible says, and God is the only one who is good. The Bible says that God alone is good, that all of us fall short of his standard. And while that might seem like bad news to some, the good news is that even though good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. Forgiven people go to heaven. And that's what we see here in this second criminal, the one who turned his heart, his life to Jesus. There were two criminals you know, in the final moments of their life, they both had a conversation with Jesus and neither is good, but one will die without forgiveness. The one who turns to Jesus and says, remember me, on this day he dies forgiven to be eternally with God forever. I I want you to see two things in this forgiven guy, two things in his attitude that really matter. They matter for him and they matter for you and me today. What made this forgiven one different? If you're taking notes, the first one is this, he admits wrong. You know, what makes the forgiven guy different? He admits wrong. Verse 40 says this this forgiven criminal. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear, God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so the forgiven one turns to the other guy and says, hey, we are being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man who's being crucified here with us, Jesus Christ, He's done nothing wrong, but we're being punished justly. And the truth is that scriptures teach us that we've all sinned. Every single one of us here, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But what makes it really difficult to say something like this today is that there are a lot of people living today that don't want to admit that they ever sin, that they don't want to admit that they ever do anything wrong. And I think part of the reason is this whole comparison thing, because it's so easy to look to somebody else and say, well, again, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm not like they are. And so we'll compare ourselves to somebody else. We'll just compare ourselves to other people. And when we're forced to face our own shortcomings, we'll look to others, people that will make us feel better about who we are so that we certainly don't have to experience any of that guilt. But one writer says, you know, hey, we're all guilty. A writer by the name of Ray Comfort, he asked some questions uh, in a book that he's written. And he asked them like this. He says, hey, have you ever told a lie before? You know, if you've ever told a lie before, you are a liar. Uh, have you ever stolen anything? Well, if you've ever stolen anything in your life, then you're a thief. Uh, Have you ever had a lustful thought about someone else? Well, if so, the Bible says that you are an adulterer. Uh, Have you ever put anything else before God, whether that be relationship or work or money or something like that? If you've done that, well, then you're guilty of idolatry. And so if you've done any of those things, and chances are that most of us, at some point or another, have broken all of those things, well, then I guess that we're all lying, thieving, adulterous idolaters, that's good news, isn't it? Hey, welcome to Easter services at Genesis Church. We're, we're glad to have you here. I mean, how uplifting is that news on this Easter Sunday? But we've got a lot of people living like that in our own community today. You know, even here in our own church that are, consists, well, I'm mostly good. I, I'm really not that bad. But again, it doesn't matter how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 10 says that you can work all you want. You can work all you want to keep all of the laws, but even break one of them. If you even break one of them, it's like you're guilty of breaking every single one of them. We all fall short of this goodness meter. You know, It doesn't matter if you're a 60 or a 75 or a 94, whatever it is, we all fall short of God's standard. None of us is good on our own. And some of you are like, I don't need to be reminded because I know that I'm not good enough for God. And maybe right now you are living in such shame. Uh, You are living with such hopelessness in your life right now. Um, You're not even sure why you're here. And wonder whether you're even worth being here in a place on a day like today. Because you're like, if only you know, if only you knew what I've done. Because maybe for you, it's like um, you have no idea that the divorce was my fault. Or maybe for you, it's an affair and and you're like, if you only knew that my affair has jacked up my whole family. Or maybe for you, it's if you only knew that the reason that I'm without a job right now is because I cheated and they forced me out. Or that right now I am so overwhelmed by an addiction in my life and I can't get control and my parents will have little to nothing to do with me. And all that happens in your life, every single day when you wake up, these words go off that say, I'm not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're not worthy enough for God and for His forgiveness. You know, we've got a way today of classifying people unfairly. Classifying people as good people or bad people based on what they've done or the at least the seriousness of the sins or the crimes that they've committed. Some fairly, some unfairly. But I think maybe it would be better explained by this. Indianapolis has a decent skyline, right? I mean, if you're approaching the city from whatever direction. I mean, Indianapolis has a decent skyline. Suppose for a moment, two buildings, let's just say building A and building B, building A being the largest, um, maybe 30 stories taller than building B. Um, It's easy from our perspective, standing on the ground to look at a skyline, to look at two buildings, you know, 30 stories difference from one another. It's obvious which building is greater, which building is taller. And we see that. But but suppose for a moment, take the same two buildings, take building A, building B from their height. Highest point and measure that distance to the moon. I mean the distance is so great that it really becomes irrelevant at that point, building A, building B, which one is taller. It doesn't matter anymore. Well, sin is kind of like that because it's easy from our perspective to to look at various things that people do and make all of these judgments about who they are, and then suppose, you know, who is good, or he did this, or she did that, and so I guess he's undeserving or she's undeserving. That one thing is true. On Earth the decisions that we make carry different consequences. They do carry very, varying consequences, but let's not forget that. But when it comes to our sin and when it comes to our shortcomings, from God's perspective, it's all the same. It really becomes irrelevant because none of us is good on our own. We all fall short of God's standard. You can't earn your way back to God. There are no deeds that you can perform or fail to perform that will keep you or get you to God on your own. For God, it's not a matter of who you are. For God, the question becomes, where does Jesus fit into your life? Where does he fit into the picture? And that's why the admission of the forgiven criminal is so important here, because he admits that he's wrong. He's admitting that he's not good on his own. He admits to Jesus that he has sinned. You know, the criminal needed Jesus. And the question becomes for you and me, do you need him too? Do you need him too? Which leads to this next point. You know, what do we see in this forgiven man? man? Well, first of all, he admits his wrong. But the second thing is the forgiven one asks for help. He asked for help. Now, don't miss this. Both criminals go looking to Jesus for help. All right, they're both looking for help and and when you think about it there are a lot of people out there today who are open for some form of help from god and they may never step foot in a church but they're willing to believe in a god especially in a god that's all about giving some handouts you know a god that's about pouring out his blessings a god that can make me better or healthier or richer or make my life more exciting or worry free or or pain free or something like that or all the money i could ever need and that's what we see in the first criminal here because he's like jesus get yourself down in the from the cross and in the process would you get me out of this mess here too Uh, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, take away this pain or give me that relationship or give me some more money. But the forgiven guy, he goes looking for help from Jesus. He looks for eternal help. Again, verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who has kingdoms? Kings do. You know, this man is recognizing that Jesus is the king of kings and Lord lords. And Jesus answered him in verse 43. I tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise. You know, he doesn't go looking for help. He doesn't go to Jesus looking for help and getting down from the cross. He recognizes in the final moments of his life an issue that was so critical for his soul and for his eternity. And he goes looking for something. He goes looking for an answer that only Jesus is able to provide. Again, both criminals were guilty both suffering the same punishment, both dying, both in need of the Savior, both of them hearing and witnessing the very same things with Jesus hanging on the cross for these six hours. But one will die forgiven and the other one won't. One will spend eternity with God, the other will spend eternity separated from God. You know, until Jesus, re- unless unless Jesus returns soon, we're all going to die one day. Okay, that is the truth and I think we've all come to accept that And everything that we ever thought mattered in this life Whether it be money or work or school or a car or the indianapolis colts or your 401k or whatever So many things that we thought mattered in this world won't You'll die one day and the only thing that will matter the day you die is whether you are forgiven Or you're not And five minutes after you and I die We will realize how important this truth is and it will be too late to change your mind. You know, none of us is good. You know, we're not good enough on our own. We're not capable of living up to the standards that God has established for us. And that was the problem of the people of God living in the Old Testament. I mean, they had all of these laws. They had all of these rules that they were expected to follow, but they couldn't. It was impossible to follow all the laws. And so all they heard all the time is you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You will never measure up. And little did they realize that in this desperation that was welling up inside of them, that God was really preparing them for a savior. He was preparing them for the answer. He was preparing them for Jesus. You know, this man could do nothing to prove himself to Jesus. He couldn't come down from the cross. He didn't have the opportunity to go back and fix all of the wrongs that he had ever created or repair all of the broken relationships that he was responsible for. It doesn't matter whether the world judges you as good enough or not good enough for God. Again, you and I are not good enough on our own. We all need Jesus. And the forgiven one realizes this and he turns to the Savior for help. And we can learn from this man. We can learn this important eternal truth that the only real way to change, the only way to forgiveness is to admit that we're not good enough on our own and to go looking for help. I want to finish with this verse, uh, Romans chapter three, verses 20 to 22, which starts, Paul writes, for no one, can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Basically, hey, God is showing us a way because we can't do it on our own. We're not good enough on our own. We're not capable of meeting all of the expectations. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now, verse 22, and don't miss this because this is the best news. We are made right with God. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for who? For everyone. For everyone who believes, no matter who you are. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are. This is what the man learned on the cross and what we are reminded today that it's not about how good you are. You are forgiven when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I'm, I'm going to ask you if you would, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, to do whatever you can to really focus on just a few words that I want to say to you. Um, before we continue on with some worship. Uh, The forgiven one here on the cross, you know, the world said he deserved death. And with his life slipping away in desperation, he looked at Jesus and something in his heart in this moment changed. And this man, this criminal, he experienced the love of God like he had never experienced before. And though he could do nothing to make things right in his life, with faith he looked at Jesus and said, remember me. And Jesus replied, today, my friend, you will be with me in paradise. Your sins are forgiven. And the bottom line today for you and me is this, that you are here today and you are either forgiven or you're not. Which is it for you. And God, right now I am praying that through the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes to the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. As as, as we're praying right now, uh, some of you are here today and you are feeling the weight of sin right now in your life. And and maybe you carried it in here with you. Maybe you've been carrying it for the last week or the last months or even the last year or maybe for most of your life. And because of this weight, you feel inadequate and your life is full of guilt. And, and, and you know and you realize that you're not good enough. But, but there is this, you know that you have been forgiven by Jesus and that you belong to him. But, but you've taken this weight back. You've taken this guilt back. And it is too much to bear right now. If that's you and you are feeling this weight and you are feeling this inadequacy in your life, even as you come in here today, I want to pray this prayer for you today. But I'd love to know that I'm praying for you. If that's you, just slip your hand up where you are right now. Just saying, you know what, hey, I've been feeling that weight. Thank you for those hands there. Pray this prayer for you. God, I pray right now that your word would speak into our hearts as we remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I pray that truth would penetrate our hearts and lives today, that no matter what we've done in the past, no matter what sin we're dealing with right now, that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those in this room who are carrying that burden today and that just as you stepped out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, that maybe today we'd be able to step out of the tomb of condemnation today, knowing that because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we have new life today too. And as we keep praying, I know that there are some of you here who have grown up thinking, I hope I'm good enough. Or have I done good enough? Or what can I do to fix this or to make this all right? I'm praying right now. I have been praying that you realize that you will never be good enough on your own. That no one here is good enough on their own. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the standard of God. But here's the great news. That Jesus came to this earth and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead and he is all you need. He is all we need and we are not good enough on our own, but Jesus is enough. He's enough for you and he's enough for me. And so maybe you've been wondering, where do I stand with God right now? And you're realizing today, right now, that you are not forgiven. You are not right with God. But today you have the opportunity to receive that forgiveness. Today, right now, in your seat, where you are before you leave here. And some of you, you are going to throw yourself at his mercy and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. And you are going to pray this prayer here just in a moment. And here's what God's going to do. He is going to forgive you. He's going to forgive every sin you've ever committed. And he is going to take his place in your life. And you will never, ever be the same again. And I wonder if that's you. And I wonder if you're ready to make Jesus your Savior. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I want to ask you, are you ready to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, to receive His forgiveness in your life today? If that's you, I'd love to know that I'm praying with you. Just slip your hand up where you are. Uh, No one's looking around in the room right now. Thank you for that hand in the back. Uh, Anyone else here in the room, you've never made that decision in your life before. Why would you put it off any longer on this great day of celebration? Uh, If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I am nothing without you. Come be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me. And remember me today. And God, we give you thanks and we give you praise for these commitments and all of these commitments this weekend. Those to come today as we expect your greatest work, oh Lord our God. And we thank you, Lord, that when we call out to you, when we say, remember me, Father, that your response is, you will be with me in paradise at Dice. And that is great joy and great news. And God, we give you praise and we give you thanks that Jesus is alive and we worship him now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.